A Night in the Lonesome October October 9th Last night we obtained more ingredients for the master's spell. As we paused on a corner in Soho, the great detective and his companion came out of the fog and approached us. Good evening, he said. Good evening, Jack replied. Would you happen to have a light? Jack produced a package of wax vestas and passed it to him. Both men maintained eye contact as he lit his pipe. Lots of patrolmen about. Yes. Something's afoot, I dare say. I suppose so. It involves those killings, most likely. Yes, I'd say you're right. He returned the matches. The man had a strange way of regarding one's face, one's clothing, one's boots, and of listening. As a watchdog, I could appreciate the mode of total attentiveness he assumed. It was not a normal human attitude. It was as if his entire being were concentrated in the moment, sensitive to every scrap of intelligence our encounter furnished. I've seen you about here other evenings, and I've seen you. Likely we'll meet again. You may be right. In the meantime, take care. It's become dangerous. Watch out for yourself also. Oh, I will. Good night. Good night. I had refrained from growling lightly for effect, though the thought had passed through my mind. I listened to their footsteps long after they had gone from sight. Stop, Jack said. Remember that man. Somewhere on the long, long walk home, an owl passed us riding the chill breezes on motionless wings. I could not tell whether it was night wind. There were rats about the bridge, and I did not know whether Bubo was one of them. Stars swam in the Thames, and the air was full of dirty smells. I kept pace with Jack's long strides while investigating every sleeping street person huddled in every shelter along our way. I felt at times as if we were being followed, but could discover no reason for my apprehension. It could well be that our mere progress through October was in itself sufficient to produce anxiety. Things, of course, would continue to worsen before they got better, if they were ever to get better again. Ah, Jack! came a voice from our left. Good evening. Jack halted and turned, his hand near to the place where his knife was concealed. Larry Talbot stepped out of the shadows, touching the brim of his hat. Mr. Talbot, Jack began. Larry, please. That's right, you're American. Larry, good evening. What are you doing out so late? Walking. It seemed like a good night for it. I tend to insomnia. You in town, perhaps? Yes. So was I. I met the great detective himself and his friend. He stopped to ask me for a light. Oh. Larry glanced at his palm, seemed reassured of something, went on. I got the impression he's involved in the investigation of the recent slayings, of which I understand there was another tonight. You hear anything about it? Nope. Caution me to watch my step. I guess that's good advice for all of us, though. (laughs) Did he give you the impression he had any real clues? Larry shook his head. He's a hard man to read. His partner muttered something about dogs, though. 
Interesting. I'll walk you part way back, if I may. Surely. Eight more days till the death of the moon, Jack said after a time. Are you a moon watcher, Larry? Uh, very much so, came the reply. I'd guess that. We walked for a long while in silence, Larry's stride matching Jack's own. Are you acquainted with the one called the Count? Larry asked suddenly. Jack was silent for several paces, then said slowly, I've heard of him, but I've never had the pleasure. Well, he's come to town, Larry said. He and I go back a long way. I can always tell when he's about opener, I'd guess. Jack was silent again. In my mind, I revisited yesterday afternoon when Greymalk and I had made our way along the route Bubo had shown me. She ventured into the crypt while I waited above. She was down there a long while, silent as a cat, before she repaired topside. Yes, she told me then. The rat was right. There's a rather handsome coffin down there, up on a pair of trestles, and an opened trunk containing changes of clothes and some personal items. No mirror. No mirror. And Needles hung himself amid the roots overhead. I guess Bubo traded fair, I said. Never trust a rat, she told me. You said he'd sneaked into your place and was snooping around, supposing that was his real reason for being there, and he only offered to trade information to cover it over when you caught him. I'd thought of that, I said, but I heard him come in, and and I know just where he was. All he got to see was the things in the mirror. Things in the mirror? Yes. Don't you have any? Afraid not. What do they do? Slither. Oh. Come on, I'll show you. You sure it's all right? Yes. Later she placed a paw against its reflection as she stared. You're right, she said. They slither. Change colors, too, when they get excited. Where did you get them? Deserted village in India. Everybody died of plague or run away from it. They must have a use. Yes, they're sticky. Oh. I walked her back to Jill's, where she said, I can't invite you in or show you any of our stuff, I'm afraid. That's okay. Will you be prowling tonight? Have to go into town. Good luck. Thanks. Jack and I parted from Larry at the crossroads near his place and headed west toward our own. When we came into the yard, I smelled owl and saw Nightwind perched in the same tree Quicklime had visited. I growled a good evening, but he did not return it. I rushed inside first in the event he was a lookout, but there was no one there and there were no odors of intruders. And everything was as it should be, just simple spying then. When there's nothing else to do, we watch each other. Jack went off to deal with his acquisition. I did dog in the parlor.